it feels like we should be slowing down, but there's this pile up of, of good stuff. I've been frustrated with that. I feel like you really need an October or November release to be part of the conversation and these late December releases yeah. that some like even 1917, that's not really p- going to be playing much of anywhere until uh, I think January 10th. That's real mm-hmm. late. Yeah. For a, for a 2019 film. And definitely that's a film they would have wanted to be part of the uh, prestige season in the awards discussion. Right. Right. And certainly it is. It's making its way onto critics lists and it's nominated for things so far. I think it will continue to be because people who are in the industry or in the know get to see it. Um, But it is not going to be part of the public conversation that has anything to do with the awards narrative at all. And I don't like that. I like when the public has a little bit of say in in that um conversation because if a movie opens and tanks it doesn't matter how great the critics thought it was its prospects are done and it kind of avoids that and just on a viewing perspective when irishman came out around thanksgiving and marriage story that felt like nice Mm -hmm. there's there's a little time it's the end of the year we're waiting patiently we're finally getting the good movies but now with uncut gems and little women they're just last second releases and it's like oh this this how fun would it have been to have these in the in the mix right. earlier in the year? Oh, I agree. There was such a dead zone in the summer, and I know summer is a dead zone, but there were multiple weeks in the fall even where there wasn't really anything I felt I needed to see, and it would have been great if something was a little bit earlier. All right. So, yeah, I uh, I have seen eight films since our last discussion. I can quickly dispense of a, a few of them. 21 Bridges is a completely disposable, fine, okay, like, dad movie for a Sunday afternoon, a cop drama with some predictable twists. Uh, It's fine, whatever. And Star Wars sucks. The new Star Wars is bad. I was generous. I gave it a go. I saw it twice. It's just bad. They had no plan. They rushed it. It's, uh, it's an embarrassment. Um, Okay. Those out of the way. (laughs) I'm trying to think what else there is. Yeah. We both seen uncut gems and bombshell. And the prestige picture that I've seen was Cats. Yes. Which, frankly, I kind of love because it is just its own brand of cat badness. I mean, was the stage show good? No. So neither is the movie. It, But it was way worse than it needed to be in the most uh, entertaining way. I haven't caught up with it yet. I will eventually. I'm kind of putting it off. But it does look delightfully bonkers. And... and not just weird, but it looks like baffling on every aspect of its production, perhaps? Absolutely. It, I mean, I saw this not-finished version. You, by the time you catch up with it, maybe you'll see the improved oh, yeah. one. Right. But, I mean, I was just laughing to myself uh, uncontrollably for the first, I don't know, five minutes until I got used to it. <laughs> and, and and then I continued to have have a lot of fun moments throughout. It feels cheap to fixate on the effects. However, they are the ones who made the decision... Right. To to do this. The effects add to the strangeness yes. and the it, it's it's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And what the actors are doing, these aren't cat behaviors. They're not human behaviors. <laughs> it, it, it's like Cat's aliens behavior. came to get Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it is wonderful. Wow. Even when the trailer came out, I noticed that there's something about the 
especially with the Jennifer Hudson clips in the trailer, it changes the size of her head to the yeah. point where her facial features are it's disturbing. The proportions are so yes. off. The cats are so small in some ways, and none of them have anything in their swimsuit areas, but some of them do have breasts, and they keep getting crotched. And so you're like, well, what are they injuring? Right. And then there's strange Good choices, point. like the the lead, um, the ingenue, I forget her name. She's a famous ballerina, but she does some good ballet at one point. You know, the camera's moving so frantically that you don't really get to see the dancing. But at this one point, you get to see what she can do. She's clearly on point. And instead, they've like CGI'd human feet over what are clearly ballet slippers. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, why couldn't this ballerina cat have ballet slippers you know skimble shanks gets overalls judy dench wears a cat coat couldn't she have proper shoes rather than going to all the trouble to disturbingly put human feet over her shoes it's very weird choices i'm sure this is not one of your top 8,000 musicals to begin with (laughs) but do they do any justice to the music in the film no I mean, the music is so bad to start with. Yeah. Um, they don't really explain what a Jellicle cat is. They're like, well, Jellicle cats are the ones who go to the Jellicle ball. I was like, all right. Of and then they make the Jellicle choice. The Jellicle choice? <laughs> what is that? Well, it's who gets to be ritually sacrificed. Oh, okay. Uh... And Right. And they don't really explain any of that. It's just you need to understand that they're Jellicle cats. And so that goes on and on. And each number, the, you know, then it's two hours of the cats introducing themselves with not great songs. And of course, Memory's the best song in the show. I do like that song. I, and it's not like Jennifer Hudson is bad. She like throws herself over the falls in a barrel and you're just like, oh, poor thing. Like you're, you're an Academy Award winner, Jennifer Hudson with a wonderful nice. voice, you know, and yeah. you've been reduced to, to this. And clearly, this seemed like a good idea. I don't know how executives on the ground didn't watch what was being shot day by day and not just panic, Um, because it's it's real bad. So this is a Dan recommendation. Oh, yeah. Five stars. Okay. (laughs) I will will return to Cats. I will watch it for years. I I really enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Um... I caught up with an, with another movie called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is now streaming on Amazon. Yeah, I need to watch that. Uh, it's good. I recommend it. I have complicated thoughts on it, though. It's a very impressive debut feature from director Joe Talbot. And uh, I would, if I was going to be pithy and do the movie in Injustice, I would sum it up. I'd call it a, a, a Black Wes Anderson movie. Because it is a very mannered and stylized, almost to a fault movie that has a very, very pure vision. Um, It also has very serious subject matter. It's about a young man in San Francisco. It's about gentrification. He is squatting in the house that his grandfather built. um, uh, And he only is able to do so because a white 
wealthy family has been squabbling in, a, in an estate fight over the house. And so it's unoccupied for a while. And so it's kind of him uh, dealing with his memories and his the, lamenting what's happening to San Francisco. And it's very uh, it's very whimsical. He and a friend um, live in this house and they decorate it and they furnish it. And it kind of it has themes of of masculinity and uh, all these things in it. Um, that for me didn't quite land emotionally as they should have, but in a very interesting package and a very um, fascinating movie that is definitely worth a look. I'd give it three stars. Yeah, it looked, you know, I remember it being out and I thought about going to it a few times and I just never went, I guess, bottom line, I was afraid it was going to be boring. Yeah. Was it? A little bit. Yeah. Because it is, uh, it's so whimsical and it repeats itself tonally a lot. Um, it is interesting. It has interesting performances. Danny Glover is in it, and uh, it. I thought it would be less boring if it actually became more linear and more kind of grounded. Yeah. Because I felt like it was repeating itself a little bit, and I kind of wondered. You know, the trailer was all these beautiful, weird shots, and then all the this praise from people who saw it at a festival and said it was the greatest thing. And I'm like, is that? that looks very fascinating and I need to see it, but I think maybe that it's a red flag Mm -hmm. the way that people were kind of, you know, that curse of being lauded at a festival for being the best thing ever. And it's important subject matter and people virtue signal. They see the subject matter that they, that really is important. And so they're like, Oh, you must see this. It doesn't mean that it's a, a good film or an entertaining one. It just means that it's subject matter is important. Yeah, so worth a look and, a, and an interesting debut. I definitely will be curious to see what, what Joe Talbot uh, does. You know, it felt to me, and again, this feels a little bit condescending, but it felt like a, an excellent student film. It felt mm-hmm. like an excellent project that got a lot of maybe attention and investment and became a feature. Um, and it's like amazingly good for a student project. Uh, and again, that feels a little too too mo- too big of a slight because it really is well done. And it's it feels important. I just don't know that it, it it nails that landing. Yeah, I think that I'll be in the mood for it at some point, and I'll probably yeah. watch it. It's worth your time. All right, so let's talk Bombshell. Okay. So, obviously, a 2019 American film directed by Jay Roach and written by Charles Randolph. Mm-hmm. Obviously starring Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman, and Margot Robbie. But there are so many great actors in this, and it's yeah. uh, w- so wonderful and surprising as they each emerge. Um, I thought John Lithgow was great. Um, Kate McKinnon did some solid stuff there. Connie Britton, um, Malcolm McDowell, mm-hmm. Allison Janney. <laughs> well, right. I, you know, she's she's the best thing whenever she walks in a room in a movie. Right. My favorite piece of stunt casting, both in this movie and Ma. So. Clearly, this is uh, behind the scenes of the harassment claims that uh, happened at Fox News during the 2016 presidential campaign. And it's a very interesting story. They created, to me, a pretty compelling world. Um, I think that there's an unavoidable, uh, flaws the wrong word, but an unavoidable thing that they have to contend with that the people who are victimized are not that sympathetic Mm. and that's not to excuse what happened to them. It was wrong and terrible. And it's hard to feel sorry for Gretchen Carlson watching this unfold 
oh, you can't have a career and that sucks. And you're in your million dollar Westchester right. home or whatever, and you get a $20 million settlement. Yeah. There, there are worse things that happen to people. Yeah. I've even heard some critics dismiss the movie because they can't feel sympathy for the main characters. And I disagree with that, but uh, that is kind of a, an elephant in the room. Right. I can feel sorry for what they went through. And yet, what what am I trying to say? It's unsurprising that it happened because mm-hmm. the entire existence of that organization is predicated on a certain patriarchy and misogyny, a certain kind of culture that always right. does exactly what it did. And that's not saying, oh, women, you should have been smarter in your workplace. Right. No, it was still wrong that it happened to them. But as an audience member, it's just not surprising. Yeah. And it feels like the movie is super generous to them. Even though this you know, could be called a movie with a liberal point of view, it's very, very generous and makes a lot of space for these characters. Yeah. I did not understand Margot Robbie's character. Um, I thought that, I mean, Margot Robbie always does a great job. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand her character because she's an evangelical who talks about Jesus, who has unconflicted, casual lesbian sex, but she's not a lesbian, whatever. That, that, that isn't like any person on earth. Right. And she seems to completely accept Kate McKinnon being a lesbian, and she is completely um, sympathetic to her being a Democrat stuck in this job for some reason. What? What? Right. And then at the end, she, you know, throws out her badge, and I guess she resigns and goes elsewhere. But what happened? What changed? Right. Did you have a complete change of worldview? Are you no longer an evangelical or no longer a conservative or a Republican? Or was the fact that you were harassed and violated the the only the only issue that you that you had no change of mind? Um, You just decided to get out of a toxic situation where you were being harassed. That wasn't clear to me. And she's an amalgamation. She's not a real person, so she's supposed to be amalgamated out of different people. But she still has to be a character with with traceable motivations. She feels like an amalgamation of whatever they need her motivations and uh, personality to be scene to scene. Oh, I agree with that completely. I thought that um, Lithgow was just great. It, um, that kind of a role just lets him sink his teeth into it. And he, I hated him as much as we were supposed to hate him. You know, it was, and it, but it's kind of like the villains don't get any comeuppance in this story. They ended up getting more money than the victims. And oh, how sad that this thing I built, I can no longer be a part of. Yeah, that sucks. But I just really have a hard time sympathizing um, with people who have a lot of money because you can just go ahead and live out your days in comfort and, do anything else except for the job you wish you could have. And calling's real, but there are a lot of things that don't work out in life. And if all of your needs are taken care of and you can buy anything you could desire at any given moment, I don't feel sorry for you. You're right. Um, Richard Kind as Rudy Giuliani at oh, this moment I loved in, it. in the news cycle was delightful. Yeah. Uh, I liked this movie a lot. I thought it was funny and interesting. Uh, but here's my my take on it. I don't love it. I probably would give it three stars um, and give it a, a thumbs up recommendation, but 
it um they made a big deal out of be, being from the writer of the of uh, the big short and that it's this kind of movie that takes current events and just blows it up in an entertaining way and i it didn't work on, in that way because this is not the big short is like that really is an incident and a world, that whole housing crash that needed to be explained and it needed to be kind of made accessible to lay people in a way that I felt it was doing a service as it was entertaining. This one, you get it. You get it already when you're going into it. So I was more concerned with the characters and and what, what you know, what it, what it was like and what happened. And so I, I don't know. I felt like it was not as clever uh, an expose as maybe it wanted to posture itself as and it was more just a, a comedy based on a dramedy based on recent events yeah I and well done and well cast oh totally it was um i think it was a little bit at cross purposes with itself because if you want to tell the story of how these women were violated and how they had the courage to speak up and um, they got people to listen to them, and they took down this powerful figure. That's one story. And if you want the story to be sort of a satirical um, inside look at Fox News in ways that really aren't all that surprising or unknown, that's another movie. And I feel like they tried to put the two together, and that didn't always work. Um, we haven't talked about Charlie Theron, who is fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I felt like I was watching Nicole Kidman and Margot Robbie and Megan Kelly like that. Like mm-hmm. they were the main cast. I feel like she was so good and so um, invested in this character that I kind of forgot that it was an actress playing the role. And I think that that, that will kind of work against her um, in a awards conversation because it's so good that it almost seems effortless. It's a successful movie maybe not the 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 knockout that i was hoping it would be yeah that's my same thing i'd give it three stars and i recommend um sag went in hard for it though mm-hmm. um all, all three actresses nominated and the mm-hmm. cast nominated as it should be what an ensemble uh so you think when it comes to awards this is going to be perhaps in the actor conversation probably not in any craft or i mean it'll be in filming. hair and makeup um and and it'll get yeah yeah some acting. I think it could be a best picture nominee, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's about it. There's two more movies, right? One that we've both seen and one that I've seen. Uh, uh, I'm talking Uncut Gems and Little Women, which I saw back to back, not the same day, but to, you know, a Wednesday and a Thursday or something like that. And they couldn't be more different. One is a, is a cozy, inviting, feel-good literary masterpiece, and the other one is an anxiety nightmare oh. that takes you to the most unpleasant places people and events imaginable uh but they're both so good at accomplishing what they set out to do that i kind of appreciated seeing them you know together okay so i haven't seen little women so why don't you talk about that one first okay so little women is 
uh, Greta Gerwig's uh, adaptation of the famous novel by Louise May Alcott. And it is uh, one of many, many cinematic interpretations of the book. I wouldn't say that I would have been excited about a, another adaptation of Little Women, um, except that it was the next movie from Greta Gerwig. So that was kind of my reason to be uh, taking notice and, and gearing up for this. And I was not disappointed. This is a, I wish that more adaptations of classic material would be this brave uh, in the way, in the cre- in the creative aspect in taking risks, in uh, playing with time, in choosing to emphasize what they want to emphasize and kind of uh, downplaying what they're not interested in. Um, It just, it comes across, there's a lot of directorial voice in Little Women. It's the story of these, uh, what, five sisters? Joe, Meg, Amy, uh, and Beth. Okay, that's four. And uh, Joe is played by Saoirse Ronan, who was just uh, Lady Bird a year ago, two years ago for Greta Gerwig. And Emma Watson as Meg. uh, Florence Pugh, and yet another great performance, owning the year, the MVP of motion pictures, Mm -hmm. I would say, for 2019. And uh, Eliza Scanlon, who I had not seen before as Beth, the youngest daughter, Laura Dern as their mother, Marmy March, and of course, um, Meryl Streep as, as their Aunt March. <laughs> the least uh, famous really, one. I'm nailing this. Yes. Right. And Timothy Chalamet as uh, Theodore Laurie Lawrence. So they're a uh, humble family. Their father is out of the picture most of the time. He's not dead, but he is off fighting the war. And then he's in a hospital somewhere recovering after he's injured. Their mother is very altruistic. She sends them around town to help less fortunate people. And they live next door to the Lawrences. This would be a grandfather played by uh, Chris Cooper and his grandson, Theodore. Teddy, uh, played by Timothy Chalamet. And, you know, this is a very classic story. Who's in love with who? Who's going to marry who? And the trials and tribulations and who gets sick and all that kind of stuff. But the way Gerwig casts it and writes it and shoots it, she turns it into a vibrant, um, exciting, interesting, funny, and sometimes heartbreaking tour through otherwise really familiar material. There's a, a, a vibrancy that she gives to the characters and the family that makes them feel like real people. It's not a realistic movie, but it generates feelings that feel like you know these people. This is a, a family that you know picks on each other, talks over each other. It doesn't have any of the stiffness. There's none of that uh, mid-Atlantic accent that people use when they're in period movies. Um, it has a lot of vibrancy and life to it. Oh boy, that's this is one that I was not excited to see when I saw the trailer. And it's only because of kind of universal acclaim that I will probably end up seeing it. And it sounds like it will change my mind. It really does. But it's just one of those like, oh, another adaptation of this. And I know the story, don't I? And I don't need to see this crew of people do it. Right. Um, But for someone like you, um, sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay. And and me, because I, again, I'm not going into it with my love of the material. Shireen, my wife, has not seen it yet, but she is a big fan of Little Women, the book, and she has a favorite movie. I think she likes the 90s one with uh, Winona Ryder and right. 
Christian Bale. And so I'm not, as much as I think this is a better film, I'm not sure how she's going to react because specifically what Gerwig does with the timeline. She mm. does things, she'll play scenes out of order for emotional resonance. She'll show, she'll jump back and forth through time to emphasize and play with it. And for me, I wanted the material to be sold to me and that helped. If somebody goes in with a slavish, you know, this is the way the book right. goes, they may not they may not respond favorably. And um Greta Gerwig has kind of been the woman director that the conversation has surrounded when people are talking about well why aren't more women directors in the conversation this year? Um Sasha Stone made herself no friends by saying that films should be looked at on their own terms and you know if we need to recognize women we should have a women director category and of course she's probably not really advocating for that but just making a point of saying that there are so many great films this year and just to say oh Greta Gerwig needs to be in as a female representative is actually offensive because Little Women is just fine but when we're going to put it against, you know, Irishman or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Parasite, is it is it up there? And to her, no. I don't know. You know, it's got that. It's got the legacy thing against it. It's a classic book that no yeah. one was asking for an adaptation of. It got that against it. But on craft and the way I felt watching it, I'd put it up with Irishman. I'd put it up with. Uh, would you put it in top five? Things. For me, may, maybe. Yeah, I think I would. Okay. Well, now, I acknowledge it. that part of this is, is personal and that for whatever reason, I became hungry for this movie and that it, you know, it, it fed me. So I don't know. It's very hard for me to be like, this movie is great and everyone should see it and acknowledge that it's great because all these things are subjective. Um, but I do think that this is, given all the realities about, um, given every everything about this year of movies, this for me is good enough in its craft and its voice to to rise that high. Okay, well, there are people who are putting it at number one on their list, and like you say, it's subjective. Right. I just find that hard to believe Yeah, that it would be somebody's number one in on this particular year, except that right. you're trying to make a statement. Uncut Gems. Yeah, Uncut Gems. All right, so I went into this movie feeling, you know, interested, and I left it. it it's near my top of the year. I absolutely loved it. Um, it's by Josh and Benny Safdie, right? And um, it stars Adam Sandler, who I think is just great in this. <laughs> um, Kevin Garnett plays himself. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, always like to see him. Uh, Julia Fox and what you informed me was a debut. It's astonishing. Yes, insane. And um, Idina Menzel, that was fun. <laughs> I thought she did a great job with that role. And uh, Sandler plays... Kind of a low life um, jewel dealer in the Diamond District, and he has a pretty serious gambling addiction, and he is in it with the mafia, and everything goes wrong for him. Like you said, it's just like this unraveling nightmare. Even the things like doors getting stuck, and you can't <laughs> open a door or get out when you need to. Um, and then all of a sudden, things turn around, and He's got everything he needs, and then dot, dot, dot. Um, I thought that it was a, a fascinating look at addiction and the madness and the um, 
liars that you need to come around you to support your lie. <laughs> I thought these were fascinating characters. I thought the plot was interesting. I thought everything that happened was uh, believable and earned. And I just found it to be exhilarating and uh, great filmmaking. Hard agree. Yes. There's something so perversely enjoyable. Like thinking about this movie makes me smile. Right. And it was hor- it was horrifying. It's supremely unpleasant on purpose. But there's something about his character, his grin. Like I just, you know, my the image burned into my mind is him with those stupid sunglasses on smiling. Mm-hmm. And when the guy says, are you enjoying yourself? And he says, yes. And that's that's to me is like there's a feeling that this movie is getting away with something or that it's Mm -hmm. like and it's such a fine tuned. It's such a perfect fine tuned thing that if one element was out of whack, this could be an unbearable mess and just not worth you know seeing. And I'll be very interested to follow their career. I liked Good Time a lot. It was similarly high tension. It, It gave you it had a little more breathing room in it than this one does, as if they challenged themselves to be even more. Uh, you know, punishing this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fascinated by them and their style. The, the, apparently, you know, they grew up adjacent to the Diamond District and knew some people. Mm. And there are some real diamond dealers and people. I think the guys at the uh, pawn shop he goes to are are legit guys. Yeah, and th- there are surprises in the movie about who the who the heavies are that he owes the money to. Uh, th- and there's this. It just builds to this conclusion that is insane and fun kevin garnett taking part in the movie as an actor uh, and then it, it incorporates this um basketball footage from the 2012 nba season uh it's just it it has so many things in it that might not be a great idea that worked so well i had a blast i love it yeah this is a little underdog movie um it Sandler and the screenplay won National Board of Review, and it's in the top 10 there. That's an important precursor. Um, It hit with Critics' Choice, um, not with Globes or SAG. That could be for any reason if people didn't see it or it was too late or didn't seem like it was prestigious enough. I don't know. Um, It could go either way with the Academy, I think. Um, I I just loved it. Wow. Did we do it? Did we cover everything? I think we did. We both streamed the two popes. Do we want to talk popes or do we oh, want to kick yes, popes down the road? Oh, yes, we do. I mean, we don't need to spend a lot of time right. on it because the yeah. movie, to me, is what it is. Um, right. I just enjoyed my viewing. I was in the right headspace for it. I thought the performances were ga- were great. Um, whatever they imagined, um, this relationship or exchange between these two um, contemporary historic figures um was to me just fascinating and completely entertaining it was beautiful to watch um i loved the locales and kind of feeling like you had a inside look at the vatican and the um pope's what is it his summer home or something mm-hmm. um yeah i just thought it was great it was a lot of fun yeah i'd seen a trailer somewhere and thought well that's an interesting one to you know put a pin in it check it out sometime but it didn't look didn't look urgent like oh i gotta see the two popes but then i saw that you posted uh i don't know if that was an official top 12 list or some kind of favorites and you you got that in there and i thought Mm -hmm. well i better that demands that i uh give it a shot and uh very very similar to your thoughts yeah it was very interesting enough subject matter um unfamiliar enough you know familiar enough because of my experiences with 
Christianity, but unfamiliarity with Catholicism and and just the way that it it portrays and then spends time with and conjectures the relationship between these guys. Uh, it just, yeah, it felt like um, the right time for it. And it felt like a very unexpectedly way funnier than I thought it was going to be and worth worth the time for sure. Yeah. And I think that it captures the real difference between the two of them of how um, Benedict, by his own admission in this film, kind of escaped humanity in study and was by the book. And it was a book that isn't working and is continually reforming since Vatican II. And then you've got um, Pope Francis, who is more of the people. And that might be a little bit of his... um, Latin American culture in him where your, your parish is maybe more familial than it is um, in European contexts and how both of those have just so shaped the church Uh, important pendulum swings um, as it continues to figure out who it is in the 21st century. And again, I don't know how much is the film taking liberties or, or creative exercises, but the idea of a staunch conservative Pope looking across the aisle at probably his least favorite person, theologically speaking or ideologically speaking, Mm -hmm. but also recognizing you're what the church needs. And you, because of me, you're, you're now what we need to set things right. That's fascinating. Yeah. Some major wisdom and humility in that decision uh, where he wanted to speak with him, he wanted to get to know him, he wanted to really wrestle with why he disagreed with him so much. And you look at the way things are, and it got us to where we are, and look where we are, and it can't be this, or we're going to yeah. die. And yeah. I think that that's an important conversation for the church. And I, I, in that way, I think Benedict got it. Yeah. Also, just interesting to me that those early scenes where they're just kind of jabbing each other and bickering a little bit uh it boy it just shows you how universal a lot of these things are they end up you know you could transpose that theological disagreement to uh my experiences to you know it just right it's so funny how um at the end of the day these are just two guys arguing about religion uh neither of them has any more uh even though one of them is pope at the moment i don't know i i find that to be humorous and humbling and absurd all all those things at once mm-hmm. agree all right um wow dan that's a lot of movies to uh stuff into people's ears i don't know so so much good stuff and now we're it, it's 2020 as we record this so um i got a ticket for just mercy next week so okay. i already have a movie that i'm interested to see do you want to uh, run down your top 10 for us while we're here I do so i just decided to go for it and make a top 10 list because these are going to be the top 10 movies that I saw in 2019 because there are just some that I'm going to have to catch up with or aren't even available yet. So my two special mentions outside of the list are Midsummer and Booksmart, both incredibly enjoyable movies in two very different ways, um, both horrifying, both hilarious <laughs> in very different ways. And they're two that uh, I will love to return to um, through life. So there's special mentions outside my top 10. So number 10, I'm giving to Ad Astra. I've held on to Ad Astra. Mm. I really connected with it, and it meant something to me. And so it kind of continued to move down my list as other things have uh, continued, but I decided I just couldn't knock it off. So that is number 10. 
Number nine, um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I didn't expect to like this movie at all, and it completely turned my expectations upside down, and I left just loving it. I think Marielle Heller did wonderful work and kind of gave the one-two punch from the very beginning, and to me it worked wonderfully. Um, Two Popes we just talked about, number eight. The Farewell was such a fun movie mid-year. Um, when I was really needing to see something good. And early on, I thought, oh, maybe this will be a major awards contender. I think that's less likely now. But um, boy, did I enjoy that movie. And I thought Aquafina did a great job. Great ensemble cast. Um, I put The Irishman at number six. To me, there's not much more to say about that that we haven't already said. Uh, great uh, Scorsese, great um, look from these actors. Number five us it's my first movie of the year that i really liked um and i even saw it in the theater twice it really um unleashed my imagination and i got really hooked on that world and i wanted to try to figure it all out um lupita nyango's performance is fantastic i hope she continues to appear on awards lineups um number four is pain and glory which I saw at the end of a full day of movie going, and I wonder if I maybe would have liked it even more than I did if I hadn't mm-hmm. already been exhausted. Um, Antonio Banderas gives a great performance. So does Penelope Cruz. Um, Pedro Almodovar, I just said it right, brings such a fragile, beautiful humanity to this semi-autobiographical story. And I think um, I really connected with its... Um, depiction of just regular everyday gayness that I just thought was great and beautiful. And you're not looking at tragedy. You're not taking any issue with it. It's just what it is to to be alive in the world. And I liked it. Um, number three, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Here is a big, old-fashioned Hollywood movie for adults um, in Tarantino fashion where some horrible historic villains get their cinematic comeuppance. Um, I love Brad Pitt. Um, probably more than I've ever loved Brad Pitt. DiCaprio's great. Um, Margot Robbie's great, as well as a full ensemble. Um, to me, this is as good as anything Quentin Tarantino has offered us. Um, number two, Uncut Gems. We just talked all about that, so I'll move by it. And number one, no surprise, is Parasite. I absolutely loved mm. Parasite. I thought it was... Uh, it started just sort of as a fun, charming movie, and when it took its turn, it went into some really um, dangerous and thrilling and exhilarating territory. Um, I'd not really known Bong Joon-ho before, and now I've just been trying to catch up with a few of his uh, films that I can find because I just think he is an amazing filmmaker and Parasite is is a masterpiece. So that's number. Yeah. that's my top ten. All right. Uh, yeah, it's absurd how many honorable mentions I want to, you know, throw in there before I start, right. uh, uncut gems should be on the list. It's just arbitrary. I have to limit it somewhere. The Irishman, uh, there's also some other honorable mentions that are probably not on many people's lists that are just, I, I had a great time with fighting with my family. Got to mention that again on the podcast, toy story Four, ready or not, um, the farewell, the Art of Self-Defense, which I think we I both know. I almost, time with. I almost put that on a special theme, too. Uh, Dolomite is my name. I put The Beach Bum because I 
didn't know what to make of that at the time, but I've only had fond feelings thinking back to the beach bum. I don't know if it's a honorable. It didn't almost make my top 10 list. So I'm just, I'm really just having fun looking at things I like this year. Uh, Ad Astra, Ford V Ferrari, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Uh, and uh, Paddleton going away back to the beginning of the year. Mm. Um, all right, but here's the proper top 10. No, no particular order. Us, one of the best times at the movies this year. I don't like it as much as Get Out. But it is it had it just engendered so much thought and discussion, and it was such a great shared evening in the in the movie theater with strangers and Midsummer makes my list. It really made an emotional uh, impact that I I carried with me. And again, Florence Pugh, she just owned that screen this year. Uh, Book smart, incredibly funny, and feels indelible. Feels new and fresh and young and a little bit like outside of of my lane, but yet. I recognize so much of uh, like life and youth and, and it, it made me uh, happy. And I showed it to my wife who's a high school teacher and she absolutely adored it. Knives out a great time at the movies and a second viewing confirmed that it really has a solid, solid script and uh, does a lot of fun stuff with a great ensemble. Once upon a time in Hollywood, May maybe the best movie this year. I don't know. Maybe the best like popcorn movie. Uh, the Lighthouse was a demented and fun time at the movies. Uh, Pain and Glory also on my list. That also made uh, the emotional, the gentle emotional uh, I don't know, crash I had at the end of that movie has stuck with me ever since. And it just makes me smile to think about that movie and the feelings associated with it. Jojo Rabbit and Little Women. Jojo Rabbit is a crazy, funny, daring, uh, rare, important satire. Very hard to do. And it's the kind of movie that, in the simplest terms, I just, I wish I created that. I wish I did that. I wish I thought of that. Um, it's my, my, my funnest movie of the year. And Little Women, which, uh, yeah, I just think is an unexpected gem. A, a cut gem, if you will. I don't really know what that even means. That's my list. It feels silly to do that, but it is just fun to, to relitigate everything at the end of the year. It is fun. That list could be, I'm looking at, at Letterboxd and I have a different top 10 list on there right now. I just sure. it, but It's been fun uh, talking to you about Movie Stand, not just tonight, but all along. And I look forward to seeing what we can do this year. If we can up that listenership to, uh, you know, five or six. <laughs> Double. <laughs> yeah. Hey. I'm dreaming well, big here on New Year's okay. Day. Okay, well, I hope so. Uh, and um, thank you, Dan, for your time and your voice and your mind and your thoughts. All right, this has been our podcast, everybody. We've been Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Our show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Our music is by Jonah Rapino. And thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye. I went to the gym this morning. Did you? I did. Look at you. Yeah, I need to cancel my other gym membership. The gym that I oh, hate, yeah. that I haven't gone to in months. And I turned everything around by going to a gym that now I'm excited about. I've been going since August, on weekdays to the gym. I know. You've been really devoted to fitness. I'm a, I mean, I'm fat as I ever was <laughs> because I'm not. The big 2020 thing is food. 
Oh. Now that I've actually like carved out a groove for physical fitness, I got to catch up with the diet. Yeah, I did the opposite, actually starting in August. Oh. In August, I decided that I would start being mindful of my eating. And I got a fitness app. Wow. And I have been recording the things that I eat. And that kind of was depressing just yeah. to sort of realize how many calories I was casually taking in mm-hmm. every day. Okay. And so I have um, experienced a little bit of success through food, but I got to take it to the next level Yeah, with, with health, you know? That's, that's where I am as well. Did you have an app that you recommend or did you not? Did they oh, I just use my fitness pal like everybody. I and see. it's kind of aggressive. It's mm-hmm. you haven't logged your breakfast today. Do you want to mm-hmm. do that? And I'm, yeah, sure. <laughs> Back in August, I started Noom for a mm. day and I hated it so much because of that. I could immediately tell that it was going to anger me. <laughs> and so I, I just quit it before the you know during the trial period and found the cheapest local gym and i decided i'm going to decide to wake up and do it and that was that part of it was successful so that's good no notifications needed part of my new year's thing too is that usually i try to find the cheapest thing and this time i didn't choose the cheapest thing just because i liked it better and i decided i'm worth it i decided that i can pay a little more for something i Uh. want then pay a little bit for something I hate. Imagine that. Yeah. That sounds revelatory. Yeah. It's great. It went kind of the opposite way for me because when I was just seeing, do I want to go to the gym? Shireen had a um, a pass that was about to expire for Vision, which is this really, it's the rich people gym here mm-hmm. in Pearl River. So I went and had one day at this amazing gym with all the sparkly new stuff and I liked it, but then I, when I ended up buying a subscription, I went to Retro Fitness, which is like the strip mall, stinky gym, but right, it's all right. But this it's once was yours. It's working for me. 